Welcome to the Drop Everything Podcast. This is part two of my talk with Daniel Menendez. In this half, we'll talk about the bounce piano and the effects it had on Daniel's career. Thanks again to the sponsors before we begin. Todd Smith, maker of The Assassin, the club with deadly accuracy, and of course, the Renegade Jugglers, especially Tom Renegade for hooking me up with that sweet fire hoop. Now, sit back, drop everything, listen to part two of my talk with Daniel Menendez. So usually I have a good sense about ideas and tricks. I remember thinking, you know, because those early days of the cruise ships, remember, like they couldn't see below your waist. Right. And you were doing yeah. cruises at that time, and I thought, well, Dan, this thing's on the floor, mm-hmm. They'll, and you're doing, you know, you can't even see it. How is that even going to work at all? So let's let's get into that a bit. How did you even? There have been some stories about uh, that I remember about how you came up with it. But let's get the the real uh, the real deal. What's the real story okay, about so, the dance piano? So you know, I went to San Jose State for college. My dad worked there, so he he was a coach there for forty years. So my whole life. Uh, I would go to San Jose State. When I was a little kid, we would swim in the swimming pool. San Jose State was like my second home. And Barry Bacalor decided to host the IJA Festival at San Jose. And at the time, I had been entering the competitions. I, I, I have gone to 28 IJA national conventions. So I always went to the convention. I'd always enter like you did. I was yep. running, I'd always enter. And all. I, I didn't, never did very well. And then I find out that the, the convention is coming to my hood, like San Jose State, where I I would go and practice in the gym there, you know, when I was practicing a lot. That was one of the places where I would practice. And uh, and I wanted to enter the competition and do real good at my place. So so I I for I was racking my brain and coming up with ideas. And I, I, I knew that I, I was not going to win from a technical juggling standpoint. I needed to come up with something crazy that people thought was so awesome and were so into it, would cheer so loud that the judges would go, you know, well, you got to give it to him. He, this was Great. So that's what I was shooting for. Right. And several ideas that I that I came up with. And one of them, the first one I came up with was balancing a lawnmower on my head while I was running and then just juggling. I did not have the idea of throwing uh, heads of lettuce into the lawnmower. Sure. Very back came up with that idea. Who was that? Uh, Dan Scott, Bennett came up with that? No. What happened was I, I was going to do the lawnmower. I told Barry. Barry said, I think it's a great idea. That's what I'm going to do in the competitions. Then he said, then you can throw uh, heads of lettuce mm. in there. And I kind of went, nah, I don't know about that. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's going to mess up the stage. I'm not going to do that. But it was a great idea. But I, I just kind of shined that on. I said, forget it. And then I looked into the lawnmower thing, and it looked like it was going to be too much engineering. And it's just one trick. And I picked up a lawnmower, and I thought, I could be done, but I'm not going to do it. Right. So I threw that one away. Barry gave it to Dan Bennett, and Dan Bennett performed it on The Tonight Show, I believe. Yeah, he got quite a few TV spots, and then I think it became a, well, a staple for a little bit. I don't know if staple, like three guys doing it makes it a staple, but I certainly saw it make the rounds a bit. Right, yeah, and I never did it. I never even, mm-hmm. you know, I told Barry that I came up with this idea, and then I had a, a couple other ideas that were decent. One of them was sort of a version of the bounce cello, which I ended up doing later, and then... Uh, I'm telling you, for for six months, every second of every day, I was looking like at things going into stores, like what can I juggle? What can I juggle on? What can I juggle with? I was making lists, you know, like things and then juggling bits, juggling props and trying to match them up and every second of every day to come up with these ideas. And then my idea was to get a, 
some electronic drums because I, I went into the music store and I saw these electronic drums that they'd come out with and, and then mount them into a, a platform that was all flat and then bounce on the drums. And then I knew you could uh, make notes out of the, the drums. You could get them to make notes instead of just, sure. just drum sounds. And then I was going to do like um, a symphony conductor guy because I'd seen some guys do comedy symphony conductor guys. And I was going to do like da-da-da-da with the balls. So I, every time a ball hit, it would play a symphony uh, note. So it would be da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
Sure. I mean, it was a, you know, it was a million hour, million dollar idea for me. And I, and I worked like crazy to get it going. And for two years, it wouldn't work very well. What happened was I, uh, I kept asking people, you know, I want to do this thing. I want to do this thing. And then finally my brother said his wife's cousin works at Casio. And, uh, it turned out he was all excited and like, yeah, I want him. That sounds like it's great. And then he said, and I was describing it to him, and he said, well, how big are these piano keys going to be? And I was like, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to be big piano keys. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're, always, they're always drums in your mind, right? They're always drums at that I was going to make like a, a high-tech looking uh, design that looked like some, some out-of-this-world right. futuristic, futuristic yeah, it wasn't, keyboard. It wasn't a keyboard. Not, a, not a piano at all. Like More like a, they have these things called octagons which were drum pads that were small, and they were all on one thing. So it was kind of like a keyboard setup. And he knew all about that stuff. But he was the one that said the words big keys. And it was before the movie Big. So, so the, the, the concept of, of a keyboard with big keys on it, you know, as far as I knew that, no one had ever done that. It turns out that that piano, I guess, was in the toy store in New York at FAO Schwartz. That you could step on and dance on. Yeah, before I ever did it, but I never had seen it. I'd never known about it or anything. But then the movie Big came out after I was doing this, my act for a while. And it actually helped me. It helped my act because people immediately said, oh, this is like the movie Big. So, you know, they were like into it more. So it was good because that movie, that movie was a good movie. And I don't know if you've seen it, but the, there's a giant piano that the guys dance Tom on. Tom Hanks, uh, grow, he's all of a sudden overnight, goes from like 13 to an adult right. and works in the toy store. And but, but, you know, I was going down to Hollywood, uh, to the Hollywood uh, Guitar Showcase and asking them about stuff that I could use. You know, how can I do this? Because uh, the technology then was really not very good. And um, So was this guy's this I, cousin of a friend was the one that really – how long it be when he started working on it before you had a, a prototype? Oh, pretty quick. And we went out. It was really a kind of a rinky-dink version. You know, it was like a little – little tiny one it's almost square it was kind of square and we and i had this show that i booked uh in santa cruz and the way it worked is he had to be backstage like pushing buttons switching programs um while i was doing it because i i couldn't you know it just it was just really like a clunker thing mm -hmm. and but it was still it worked the same way basically you know i, I would play the rhythms of the music and um so we, I did it uh, having no concept. I thought, well, this is going to be – people are going to think it's kind of cool because we, we did it. You know, we were, I would play with it, you know, practice with it, and it seemed neat. It was fun to do. It was fun to play music that way because you're playing the music. You're in control of the music. Sure. And it, it's clear to see that I'm in control of the music, that I am controlling the tempo of the music. And, and when you're playing uh, music, most music, you've, the, the notes have already been chosen, and then your interpretation is how you do the rhythms of the music. So you can interpret the music when you're doing this bounce piano. It's, it's really fun. It really feels good. It feels like you're playing music. So I got up there and, and having no idea, and the response was was insanely good. It was really – I had no idea. So you knew you had something. As soon as you did that yeah. first time in front of people, you're like, okay, I got something. Yeah. So then we, were, we really went, went to work on it and spent some money. You know, That's another thing to learn is, is you want to really make a, a cheap prototype that, that has enough of a – of a feel of what the things you think the thing is going to be so that when you show it to people, you get the correct response. Like this is worth doing. Right. Or, no, this sucks. This has got nothing. So the, it had, 
you know, we, we, from that, we knew right away, well, this is something really good. And it turned out to be something that the, the early, the response I got to it, I mean, whole audiences coming out of their seat. I mean, it was really. How much do you think you spent overall in the, in this development of the, to the point where it got to its, almost not its final stage, but to the part like where you got it on the Tonight Show. What do you think the development budget was for it up to that point? It was around 10,000, probably what I spent, but. I got by because this this guy here's another secret or good tip: get somebody that is enthusiastic about your vision. They they love your idea, not hey yeah I can do that uh, yeah right it'll cost you this much and yeah. yeah you don't want that you want somebody that is excited and will put their input in and is someone who's creative and is creative about their expertise like his expertise I knew nothing about which was electronics music. Um, all the stuff, MIDI, all that kind of stuff. He knew all about that stuff, and this was that all was technology was all really brand new. You know, MIDI clocks and stuff like that was really brand new. You couldn't buy it off the shelf. He he was making it from scratch, so it was all made from scratch. And if I had, you know, I, it would have been a hundred grand probably to have that all made if I could have find someone to, to do it. it. Would be a it would be a company right who would do it, you know, and you'd have to pay them like a hundred thousand or something like that or more who knows but especially in those days you know now it's a different story now it's it's all off the shelf stuff you can throw it together now how'd that lead to uh how did it get seen i mean so you're doing it you're doing over well in shows and then how did it get to the point where you were seen and it got on the tonight show well so i i was doing cruise ships at that time i i was went really into cruise ships and the cruise ships were not ideal because the, the ships that I were doing, it's like you said, the people's heads were in the way. Right. The people would stand up to see it. They would all stand up and look at it, you know, because they would see it. This is really interesting. And the people in the front row are responding great, which is what I'm getting. You know, I'm getting that mm. front three rows. But uh, the people on the back are all standing up going, what is he doing? And so um, it was not ideal. And then I, I was going to the San Jose Last Laugh. Um, it was really funny because I, I got hired to do the last lap. I would do the last lap before the piano. I was getting hired to do it. And I was doing um, like a, I was being like the middle. And uh, so I would, I would work there every twice a year or something like that for a week at this comedy club. So then I decided I'm going to do the piano as part of my routine. And, and the office for the, the guy that, that, that owned the club was underneath downstairs, right? And he didn't like watching the shows. He would just stay down there. And when the shows were done, he'd come up and get the money and go down right. there and count the money. He, did, he was not into comedy at all. And so he, he said that the response was insane. I mean, it was really insane. It was a packed house. And he came up. He goes, I've never come up during a show before in all the years I've been doing this comedy club. But I had to see what was going on because it was scary. Hmm. And he came up, you know, and saw what was going on. And so then he, he immediately fired the headliner, which I thought was totally uncool. Right. And made me headliner. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's the headliner's like, no, it's okay. I don't want to follow the piano thing. Right. So so I went to headliner right away. And uh, then I did all their clubs as a headliner. Um, they had three clubs at the time, one in Portland and one in, in Phoenix. Then they got one in Seattle. And the, the girl who was managing the one in Seattle, I went up there to do that one. And I, I had quit the cruise ships because – Everybody was telling me, you know, you, you got to quit this cruise ships if you got this piano thing. You got to get it seen on land because cruise ships, people are all retired that are on cruise ships. Right, it doesn't lead anywhere. 
Yeah, it's a dead end, really. It's where people are starting their career and ending their career is what cruise ships are. At least they were in those days. So um, I'm doing the comedy clubs. I did the Seattle Club, and this girl, her name is Debbie Dean, she managed the comedy store for six years. She was the manager of the comedy store in L.A. for six years. So she knew everybody in L.A. So, so I did the, the, the comedy club in Seattle, and she saw it. And she said, hey, you got to get this on The Tonight Show. And I said, well, yeah. I mean, how do I do that? And she said, well, you got to you got to get it in, in the clubs in L.A. And I said, well, I tried doing that, you know, but they, they don't want they won't touch me. I can't get in there. I can't even get in to do like open mics. It's just it's just so it's such a brawl. You know, it's impossible. Mm. She said, well, I can get you. I can get you in with a phone call. She got me uh, a spot in every club, the improv, um, all the big clubs in L.A. And then she got me hired at the, the Hermosa Beach Comedy Magic Club. And so I was doing the, the club there, and the guy from The Tonight Show came in because uh, he was looking for an, at another comedian. Are Jim McCauley at that, to- at that point? Yes, it was yep. Jim McCauley. So he came in looking at another comedian for, for a Tonight Show spot, and he's, he's, this is what I heard. He's walking out the door, and the owner of Hermosa Beach Comedy Magic Club said, hey, you got to see this next thing this guy does. Yeah, Mike Lacey. He's a great guy, the yeah. owner, yeah. So, so he stayed and watched it, and he came up to me and said, hey, that was great. And he gave me a call and said, we want you to be on the New Year's Eve show, on the Tonight Show, which was in a couple months. So I was like, great, wow, awesome. And then I hang up the phone, and I'm like, hey. <laughs> I don't know if I want to he's, do that. He's that same guy who saw us. That was the same talent for, a scout who saw us at a show and came back. And you're excited, but that feeling of, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to be on the Tonight Show, but you're like, oh, I'm going to be on the Tonight It's good and bad. Good and bad. <laughs> so then I look on the calendar, and there's no uh, New Year's Eve show. There's no Tonight Show on the New Year's Eve. Right. So I'm like, oh, man, it's not going to happen. But I was on the night before New Year's Eve. Right. Which was their New Year's Eve show. And, and uh, I was, you know, I was okay up until like a couple nights before, and then I was freaking out. I was really freaking out. I, I didn't sleep, and I, I was going over my act, which I'd already been doing for a couple of years, and it's only six minutes. But they give you six minutes to do an act. Yeah, back in that day, yeah. Amazing, and they introduce you like you were a real, like you were a show business person. Johnny Carson is saying, you know, this guy is the real deal. Um, you don't get that in that anymore. No. You don't get yeah, that. Now you're in the audience. Uh, you're trying to win a meal right. or impress Ed Asner. Stupid human tricks yeah. or something like that. So. Um, then I came out, uh, and the audience, it, it was that feeling of like, oh, my gosh, is this a normal audience? I, was it, was it with, like that with you? Well, it was like, oh, for us, my, I was lucky in that I never watched The Tonight Show. I was not a late-night guy. I knew Johnny Carson. Maybe I'd seen it a couple times. So I knew the idea of it was important, but I never really watched it. So... For us, the funny thing was is that we're all me and Barry were all loosey goosey, and then right before we like the, the, the commercial before or whatever, there was a guy behind the stage. Maybe he was probably there for years. He'd be the one that would page the curtain. Right. And so we're loosey goosey, then all of a sudden it just hits us like a wave. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I don't remember what he said. He goes, boys, don't tighten up now. <laughs> that helped. You know what else helped was that uh, Ed McMahon, he mispronounced our name. He's oh. like, so we're back there and we go, 
but we're going to have the Rasputin brothers. And we're like, that kind of took some pressure off. Like, oh, my God, they can't even get our name right. But it was also good because then when Carson introduced us, he said, the Raspini brothers, R-A-S-P-Y-N-I, Raspini. And then we used that for years on our promotion. But I was pretty cool. Until, and then when I got that first laugh, when we got because we were lucky, too, it was a spring break crowd when oh. we performed. So when we got that first laugh, like you said, it felt like a show. But then there are moments over the course of the spot where you kind of, you know, the little nerves get in and then they, you, you see you pull it back. It was intense. It was intense. So how'd that first spot go for you? It was killer. It was just killer. So did, I don't remember. You, you did perfectly, as I remember, right? No drops? Yeah, it was, everything worked nice. great. And, and things could have been bad. I mean, you know, five balls could have gone in every direction. Sure. You know, and under his desk, and excuse me, Johnny, I got to get this ball. I mean, the five ball force bounce. I mean, I, I I've done that trick for years, but there are definitely yeah. still times where it explodes. Yeah, it can go, yeah. it could go bad. So I, I you know, I over practice it, obviously. And, well, no matter how much you practice, you can't, you can't duplicate that. Experience. True. True. Uh, now you rocked it, as I remember, and that was yeah, it went as good as it could go, and. Um, I remember I went to a restaurant afterwards, and some people saw me that were they were at the show because the restaurant was by the, mm -hmm. the studios, and they're like, "What are you doing here?" Right, right. Like, you know, I'm I'm not a regular human that goes to a restaurant. Right, right. You're a big star here. Yeah. We just saw you on on the show. I think I was sitting at the bar at like a, you know at some joint. Yeah, yeah. There was that Mexican place across the street. Maybe that was that was the one. <laughs> but I'll tell you another thing. Um, so yeah, I started watching The Tonight Show. I would stay up late when I was young, when The Tonight Show was on in New York City before he moved to Los Angeles. And I was watching it when I was real young. And my dad used to say, hey, you got to go to bed. You know, But I, I was just into it. I thought it was so cool that all the, the entertainers knew each other. It was like this community. So I was not into being an entertainer or the, anything, but I just thought The Tonight Show was really neat. And I liked Carson, thought he was funny. And then after I watched it for a while, I got this feeling like, wow, I'm going to be on this show. And it was the weirdest feeling. It was like, I am going to be on this show. I better have something to show because I, I don't want to be on the show, but I am going to be on the like show. Like when you were I a kid, honestly, you already had that feeling. Yes, I honestly had that feeling. And I don't know why I had it. And I think it was self-fulfilling. I think it made me end up getting on it. You know, it was not, it was not any kind of an ESP thing. Right. It was in the back of my mind, I'm looking for things that would be on The Tonight Show and then – when the juggling came along, it was it was pretty quickly that I was like I'm in on, I'm all in on this. Now I was not thinking about the Tonight Show at all until um, it was real. I was realizing that hey, you know, part of a, a successful career in this line of business is being on the Tonight Show, is, is getting your thing seen on the Tonight Show. One of the things that I came up with the piano. One of the other reasons I kept with it is I wanted a piece that that people could use as advertising for my show. Like if you're going to a comedy club, mm -hmm. he's a piano juggling guy. And then they come and they see the rest of my act. I, what I didn't realize is it was going to take over my life. I didn't, that was not my plan at all, but it ended up me just going around doing six minutes everywhere, which is what I ended up doing because it's all they want is this piano. They didn't want me. You did like, I remember out. doing these big car shows where it's more like a trade show. So having yeah. a six minute bit that you could just do over and over again. It shows a day, one show an hour, right? Twenty days in a row is insane. And Debbie Dean, she managed me for a little bit too. She was a, a good lady. She uh, when I was yeah, when yeah. I was Danny Mulligan, the golf nut, for a brief sojourn in my. 
Now, here's a good trivia she, question if people at home want to play. Who's had the most appearances as a juggler on The Tonight Show in the modern era? It's, it's Dan Menendez. You had, what, five, right? Five total? Yeah, yeah I, was, I was on the uh, anniversary show where they, they bring back, like, the highlights of the, of the year. Each year they would have an anniversary show, and they would show, like, the highlights of the year, and they showed uh, my clip, and I got double uh, union fee for that because it was in uh, nice. prime time. Was kind of neat. So I, I, I got a check for double. You don't even time. be there. They just showed a clip of your appearance. Yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah. the sweetest kind of money. Yeah, it was kind of neat that that happened, and a lot of people saw that because it was prime time. And so you did the Tonight Show, and now you're, basically your career changed pretty much overnight. Yeah. Overnight. Yeah. Yeah. I got. They said I got 50 phone calls from people that call the Tonight Show about acts that they have on there. And they usually only get, you know, like a few calls. And they said they got 50 calls. It's by far the most they'd ever gotten, at least up to that point, for an act. I remember this uh, story Geechee Guy told me because he was on The Tonight Show. He said he got one call, and it was some woman who thought he had this disease because of his, <laughs> they had morphine disease. So so 50 calls, <laughs> actual, actual showbiz calls. Because I think yeah. people, you know, it does change your career. It changed our career because uh, one particular person you, saw it, the, the manager for Billy Crystal. But to get right. 50 calls, that's that's pretty epic. Yeah. I was doing all kinds of stuff. I, I did uh, I did parties in Beverly Hills. You know, I did, I did a show at the Beverly Hills Hotel for uh, um, the guy who – who was the guy that directed Ghostbusters? Ivan and, Reitman? Yeah, his, his kid's – Bar Mitzvah, I did it, and there, there was, everybody was there, Schwarzenegger and everybody, I, and I performed that, just, you know, quickly performed. So you're going from Mexican ladies wanting you to move away from the, the clothes exactly. rack. Schwarzenegger, exactly. you're very good, I like those, <laughs> you're a good juggler. <laughs> I also did his, uh, he, he has a bodybuilding competition. Sure, Arnold Classic. It's a great gig, where they have, they'll have a, they used to have a variety act on every year, while the judges were tabulating the scores. So he'd be backstage with all the bodybuilders and go out and do your act. And then you get to meet Arnold. Mm -hmm. And I did that one one time. That was really a great gig. That was neat. So, so you started yeah. doing some uh, these these trade shows, higher-end parties. And, of course, you did a lot of uh, foreign television. A lot of, you got a lot of other yeah. TV exposure with that act. Yeah, because it, it, it was non-talking or it was a little bit of talking, um, I was able to do oh, 100 shows television foreign television shows every country had like their version of the tonight show on um, a talk show and they would bring on acts and then there was uh, game shows all over the world that use acts and so that was really well paid too now that's all gone away yeah. thanks to america's got talent that's completely that market is gone and it was a great market it was well paid uh television paid on, on in the u.s is not well paid it's a scale it's huge yeah. scale it's not a lot of money if you get money, when you do cable, you don't... I remember the first time I did The Tonight Show, I needed the money. I was so yeah. broke. It was like $400. And I was living in this room in, in Hollywood like uh, with cockroaches. And I, I needed that check at that time. So, yeah, But yeah, those foreign shows, like five grand or something? Or Yeah, yeah. It was 4000 you know, and the agent's coming with you. And right. He's collecting. and So, you know, some are even more. I think I got 10000 for a show in the U.K., and uh, they're just, they're, they were great. I would go over and do three of them. Right. This is awesome. But it, it, it's all, now they all have an America's Got Talent version. Sure. You know, 
Turkey's got talent. And Turkey's got talent. And and those don't, they don't, once again, we one time got flown over to do uh, 10 throws on a TV show because we were going to do our knife pass around. It was Jeremy Beadle's Box of Tricks. And we wow. got $10,000. And basically, we're a little comedy, but our, the whole trick was just to do a pass around around the host. So we're like, we're getting $1,000 a show. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know, other uh, market disappeared entirely was opening acts. Remember, you could just be able to do an opening act for celebrities, yeah, yeah. do 15, 20 sure. minutes. Yeah, I did a little bit of that. I did uh, some pretty good ones. Not not enough of that. I think you guys did a lot of that. That was our our market for like seven or eight years, pretty much ninety five percent. But it just vanished. You also did that show. I remember the one with the elephant. Was that where was that in? Uh, yeah, Nugget. That was a great gig. That's, you that opened for the elephant, right? Or the yeah, for Bertha and Angel at the Nugget in Reno. It's a casino show, and uh, they would have. Sort of a semi-celebrity singer, or song, songwriter, person as the headliner. Like a Dick Reynolds have, or a yeah, somebody who's sort of fading, but but definitely someone you would recognize the name. And then they would have a, a variety act would open the show, and then Bertha and Angel, the elephants, would come out and do their their thing. And it was it was funny because the people in the front row. But elephants smelled pretty bad. Right. <laughs> you know, they smelled like elephants. Sure. And so the people in the front row could really smell it. So I would always come out and go, whoa, and look at the people in the front row, and they would just die laughing. You're like, you know, blame it on them, kind of. Did the elephant ever leave a, a surprise package on the – No. Well, the, <laughs> the guys that work at the uh, backstage told me that sometimes the elephant is sick and has diarrhea. <sighs> And when he has diarrhea, it's like a, a, a hose. It comes out like a garden <laughs> right. hose. And, and so he, they were warning me. Like, and so they would always ask the trainer, like, how does he feel? Does he feel okay? So one day he doesn't feel okay. And uh, the guys, were, were, they had to go out and get the stuff, you know, from the elephant. And they were diving off oh. stage. <laughs> and this is like in front of an audience, right? The whole audience is – Yeah, yeah. They said that the elephants would ne the last thing the audience would the elephants would ever do would be to go out in the audience. That's the last place they'll go, because the audience they're afraid of the right. audience. They'll run backstage and try and go through a little door before they'll go out into the audience. So it's completely safe for the audience, but for the people backstage, it's kind of dangerous because elephants can they can kill you very easily. They're, they're huge, yeah. They, they could kill you with one swipe if they wanted. Right, right. They shouldn't. No they shouldn't be. In circuses or tied up. I'm not a big yeah. one for animal acts in general, but no. so in all these insane. in all these they travels, uh, did you have one place like a favorite place or a favorite experience uh, in one of these shows? Well, I, I like that show. You had your own dressing room. They catered it, and you really felt like you were in show business. That was a nice gig. It was only two weeks long, and it was well paid, better paid than than most jobs. That's what I miss yeah. about the opening acts: is you felt like you were in show business. Your name yeah, on the marquee, yeah. and you're working with a celebrity, and you're at Caesar's Palace. Yeah. Like corporate events, they pay well, but you don't feel like you're really in in show business, you know? No. It's, it's... Uh, one of the gigs that I really was was something that's so memorable. I mean, the Tonight Show, obviously, and then I won the competition in Shizuoka the, for the, the Gold Cup. The Shizuoka World yeah. Cup, and it was two million yen, and it was just. It was really uh, – I, I ended up doing a pretty good show where I would speak some Japanese and get a lot of laughs. I, I kind of evolved the show, and it, it just worked real well. And um, then we had to do this one performance in front of the judges, yeah. Yeah. and I just nailed it. I, I was playing with the audience more than I was 
previously, you know, and, and getting them involved and stuff. And um, this, it just went really well. And that, and then I won the competition. And, and two, million, 2 million yen was 20 grand. And then you got the money from the hat and they're paying to, and it was just a... Yeah, me and Barry did that. That's a wonderful... I don't think it's still... I think they bring more local acts now. They don't have too many foreign acts in that festival anymore. I went uh, three years ago or two... Three years ago. Did it it change? Is it still... It was still big, yeah. It was still the same. I don't know if it's changed recently, but um, they are... They were still doing it, and it's a nice... It's an amazing festival. The people really are into it, and they come there to see the street performers. And that's the great thing about busker, busker festivals is, is it's busking, but it's people coming to right. see busking. So it's really special. Yeah, I'm doing a couple of those this summer. I'm really... But the thing about when we were there in Shizuoka, the controversy was the act that won were two acrobats, these two girls doing the head-to-head and the spinning the plates who had never done a street show before in their lives. Yeah, so they were yeah. great acrobats, but all the other acts were going like, well, they're not a street act. This isn't really fair. And, well, traditionally, what I'd seen was half of them were were street acts and half of them were not. Right, right. Of, of the foreign of the foreign acts, half of them were circus acts or casino acts, and uh, they they didn't have enough time. Most of them didn't have enough time because uh, you know when you do a casino spot, it's these girls were doing maybe twelve minutes. I mean, minute, but right. everyone else was doing thirty minutes or so. And I remember Ray Wald uh, won a prize, the Fire Act. He right, brought his bathtub and. If you people don't know Ray Wald, he, his whole act is basically setting himself on fire and and escaping from fire and juggling fire. Fire, you decide, fire, fire cigar boxes, fire. Yeah, fire everything. That was, that was crazy yeah. on the street. It was crazy. I bet. So, okay, so now you're doing the, um, the, 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 your career has taken off. You're doing all this stuff. We have to touch a little bit on the fact that, for me, there's only been a few ideas that should have been left alone. That basically, as long as the guy himself is still performing it, you really—it's such a creative, original idea that other jugglers should really either license it from the guy, get his permission, or or just leave it alone. Maybe the, the bounce triangle, I think, is one of them, and certainly I think the bounce piano. So when you started seeing guys um, start to copy this, what did what did you think about? What was your take on that? Well, I mean, I expected it, really, and I expected uh, people would do it. I, I felt like it's, you know, it's a, it's a challenge to to get the the equipment together. Technically, it's not that technical juggling wise, it's not that hard. Right. But uh, getting the equipment together is hard. Now, if you if you're someone who works in a casino and stuff, it's going to be a lot easier because there's people that are working there that can do it. They can put it together for you. Was the first one that I think so. Uh, that's the first one that I heard about, you know, and then I started hearing about lots of others. Um, that that was probably 10 years after I was doing it that I heard he was doing it. And he may have been doing it sooner than that. The uh, Flying Care Masas, I had seen them do mallets on... Uh, yeah, xylophone type thing. Xylophones. And that was before I even had the idea, but it really, I, it didn't, wasn't so, I thought it was kind of didn't look that great and... And so it turned me off to music and juggling. And so it was not really something that uh, that inspired me at all. I mean, the Karamasas are great, mm-hmm. and, and, but their music stuff really was not something that made me want to get into music juggling. It was, well, it was um, simplistic, like with the back drums and the... Yeah, it, just, it wasn't something that excited me, but it, it, the people loved it, you know. But it, 
may have been in the back of my mind, mm -hmm. I'm sure. But then I heard that, that they added a piano, and I do not know the chronology of that. I never saw it. Right. I still have never seen it. But I guess uh, Tim First was, was bouncing balls on some sort of a big piano. Um, I don't know anything about that. I've just heard many times about it that, oh, well, they did it first or whatever, whatever. I don't sure. know. That's something that, that I – And the format is now, obviously, when you see someone with the keyboard, it's basically your keyboard. I mean, it seems like it has the same design. I think we should put it up on little legs or something just to give it a little bit maybe like, oh, I have yeah. it on legs. It's totally different. I don't know, but what what happened with me was I was in Atlantic City and at a casino, and a guy came up to me and said, "You know, I have one of those in my closet." And I said, you, "He's talking to my my piano." And I said, "Really?" And he said, "Yeah." Um, a guy for representing came to me, or it was maybe it was I don't know, and said, uh, "Can you make this?" And gave me your tape. Mm. And he he made one, and he also gave it to another guy and said, "Can you make one of these?" And the other guy made one, and he liked the other guys better. Right. And bought that one and didn't buy this guy's. And this guy was mad at him about it. And that's why he was telling me about it. He was saying, he, he, I did all this work to make one. And then he didn't pay me. He didn't buy it. And uh, so I have it in my closet. Now, um, uh, Mark Neiser also told me that he had tried to make one. I don't know what he tried to make. But he had tried to make one, he said, before my piano. I don't he's know. doing it now. I think his variation is to have it also make images, like on a screen. Uh -huh. And, um, well, like I said, at a certain point, everything comes from somewhere. Like somebody at first sure. did two ping pong balls with their mouth and people are going like, I'm sure that first guy was like, okay, this is my gag. I don't want anybody to do two ping pong balls from the mouth. But maybe it hits a certain point, like a critical mass, where it just becomes now, okay, you're stealing it from the guy who stole it from the guy who stole it from the guy. Yeah, you know, Scott Meltzer has a good... Thing he talks about on one of his blogs, the comedy blogs that he does, about what, how you can take something and change it so much that it no longer looks like right. it. But it really is sort of based on that same idea. And when I see that, I, that's when I think, yeah, cool, great. This guy's taking it farther, a different way, different direction. He is kind of doing something like what I'm doing, but it's sure. He's you know, probably inspired by me, but it, it looks way different and. That's what I that's what I like seeing. I like to see and that's what I want to try to do too, you know, is come up with with things where really everybody goes, I had never seen that before and even if it is based on something that has already been done. Well the idea behind it is very valid. The idea of making music through juggling. I mean mm -hmm. you can always look to the the overall idea to get inspiration and go, Well that idea is valid for anybody. How am I gonna do that in my own way? But to take someone on a tape and say, Build me one of these uh, you've kind of short-circuited the creative process a little bit. I can't really get behind that too much. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of brings us to our $100 bet. You and I still have that $100 bet. <laughs> and we can maybe put this out to other people as well, that the idea is that you have to create a game changer, that we both are still working for that next thing. You've had uh, the bounce cello is also another one you've come up with, which is the pogo stick inside a cello. Uh, very effective. Maybe not the game changer. The, the you didn't quite win the hundred dollars on that one. Uh, I'm still working on some ones that I hope will will skyrocket me uh, into another level of juggling success or whatever. But uh, the idea that of creating a routine that literally changes the course of your career, and you certainly did that with the bounce piano. It kept me. It kept me in the, the thing. I would have. I would have gotten out. In fact, I was doing the piano for a year. And my income 
level had not changed at all. Um, I, I earned the same when I did my taxes. I said, oh, it's the same. I haven't made any more money. This is the best routine I will ever come up with. People are going crazy over it. It's scary, the responses I'm getting, you know, and I'm not making any more money. But then the Tonight Show happened. Right. And that, so patience, that right? Patience. See, see, see a good idea through, you know, go through the obstacles, and then have some patience. Are those the lessons we're, we're going to take away from our, our time with Dan Menendez? Hey, it's been fun. Hey, thank you so much for this podcast. Um, we'll, put, we'll put your website up. I uh, hope this inspires other people to come up with those game changers for their careers. Hey, thanks again to Dan Menendez, right. the original piano juggler. <laughs> thanks for listening to podcast number three, my talk with Daniel Menendez. I think I'm getting better. I really feel like I'm uh, getting the hang of this. I really enjoyed talking with Daniel, and I hope you enjoyed my talk with him. Before we sign off, let's thank our sponsors one more time. Todd Smith, you can go to toddsmith.com. Don't forget to ask about The Assassin, the club with deadly accuracy. The International Juggling Association. Without them, this podcast would not be possible. Renegade Juggling, making a great juggling products and also some customized stuff. Don't be afraid to ask them for some customized props like I got with my fire hoop. Also want to thank my engineer, of course, the lovely Karen Holzman. So, until next time, drop everything except when you're juggling. Good day.